0: morning everyone. Last weekend my family and I got away. We had the privilege of getting away to Hermanus for the weekend and it was so good after months of lockdown to get out and to get away. And the one morning I was praying and I was so filled with gratitude for so many things and for so many blessings that God has given us. And one of the things that I was really grateful for is One Hope Church. And I'm so grateful to be in this community to serve shoulder-to-shoulder with so many uh, friends and brothers and sisters who love and serve God passionately. So, I'm so grateful for you and I'm so grateful for the wonderful friendships that we have with so many of you. This morning, as we continue with our series of Jesus in Real Life, we're going to look at a really tough conversation between Jesus and His disciples and in particular, we're going to look at a really tough conversation between Jesus and the disciple Peter. So this account is found in Matthew 16, uh, verse 21 to 27. And Michelle Duncan is kindly going to read this for us. Uh,
1: Matthew 16, verses 21 to 27. Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chiefs, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me.
0: This account takes place roughly in the middle of Jesus's earthly ministry when he was about 30 years old. And at this point, Jesus and the disciples had been traveling for many, many months uh, around in the area of Galilee and the surrounding areas, preaching and teaching and debating with the Jews. And when we read the Bible, we often almost churchify the narrative and we look at it a little bit like a fairy tale and some distant Almost uh, a fairy tale which never really happened. And as we read this text this morning, I really want us to understand it and read it as a text that these were the disciples were real people, just like you and I. And Jesus really came down to earth and just to really grapple with the reality of this. And the disciples were ordinary fishermen from the backwater of Galilee. And if you look at that in a modern South African context, Maybe we would see them as tradesmen, bricklayers and builders and plumbers coming from a place maybe like the backwater of Springbok in the Northern Cape. Um, So these are the kind of people that the disciples were, just ordinary tradesmen. So for many months the disciples had been traveling with Jesus, walking long dusty roads with him. They were traveling together 24-7 at the end of every day uh, they were finding a place to sleep wherever they could find, wherever they could lay their head. And they had really, traveling together, Jesus and his disciples had really got to know each other intimately. Now if you've ever gone on a road trip <coughs> with, together with a group of friends, you know that during that time you know how well you get to know each other. It's when the car breaks down on the side of the road and it's a really hot day and you're stuck there and everyone gets grumpy It's when you wake up early in the morning, and for the girls, you haven't had time to get your makeup on. Uh, It's on these long hours together on the road, as you have these long conversations, sometimes deep into the night. So on a road trip, you really get to know each other well. And in the same way, Jesus and the disciples, after months of traveling together, had really got to know each other intimately And this section of scripture that we're going to read now is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, these dear friends of his, these traveling companions of months. And we come, as we enter this conversation, the preceding text, just before the section that we've read, Peter is coming off a really high point in his relationship with Jesus. And I want to read just as an introduction, I want to read this short text from Matthew 16, verse 15 to 18, which is this high point in Peter's relationship with Jesus. So let's read this. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? So this is Jesus talking to his disciples and asking them the question who do they say that he is? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So after months of traveling together and being in this intimate relationship, Peter is the first of the disciples to recognize that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the one who had been prophesied in the Old Testament to come, um, the Saviour of the Jews. This is a huge moment when Peter recognises and declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's not just a huge moment in Peter's relationship with Jesus and the disciples' relationship with Jesus, but it's also a turning point in Jesus' ministry So from this point onwards, in his ministry, in his earthly ministry, Jesus turns towards Jerusalem and he starts the long journey towards Jerusalem and towards the crucifixion. So as Peter recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, as it's revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, Jesus commends Peter for recognizing this. And Jesus says that it is on this truth that Jesus is the Messiah, and it indeed is on Jesus himself, it is on this rock, that the church is going to be built, and the church of all ages, the same church that you and I are in today. And just a quick ad break, for those of you who saw my last sermon a few weeks ago, you might remember that I'm reading through the book of Isaiah at the moment, and as I've been reading through the book of Isaiah, especially um, the latter half of the book of Isaiah, I've been so encouraged to see how many prophecies there are in the book of Isaiah that prophesy so clearly and so specifically about the coming of Jesus and about the coming of Him as the Messiah and the role that He was to play in um, bringing forgiveness to all of mankind. And these prophecies were made 700 years before Jesus was born. And that has really encouraged me and stirred my faith to see these prophecies that were made 700 years before Jesus was born. And Peter and the disciples would have been familiar with the book of Isaiah and they would have been familiar with these prophecies. Um, But we see this moment now where Peter actually recognizes that the Jesus who they are traveling with is the Messiah. We see this huge moment and this is the high point that Peter is coming off as we come now into this section of scripture that we're going to look at today which is a really tough conversation between Jesus and his disciples and particularly a tough conversation between Jesus and Peter. So we read this in chapter 16 from verse 21 to 22 or that's the opening part of the conversation. I'm just going to read these two verses for us again. From that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day he must be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So as we read the New Testament, we realize that Peter, in terms of his character, is a very impulsive person. It was Peter back um, in an earlier account when the disciples were on the lake of Galilee in the fishing boat at night when Jesus came walking on the water to the boat to the disciples. And it was Peter in his impulsive nature who was the disciple who jumped out of the boat and he tried to walk on the water to meet Jesus. And also it was Peter just before Jesus was crucified when they came to arrest Jesus. It was Peter who took out his sword and lopped off the ear Of the temple official which was part of the arresting party. So we see Peter's uh, impulsive nature coming out in numerous places in the uh, New Testament or in the Bible narrative. So it is Peter in his impulsive nature when um, Jesus tells the disciples that he must suffer and die. It's Peter who in his impulsive ignorance comes to Jesus and takes him aside and says, Jesus, this can't be. He reprimands Jesus and says, no, Jesus, um, you can't die. And you can almost hear Peter's thought process in the situation. He's just come off this high point where he's recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus commended Peter and said, Peter, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God that revealed this to you. And Peter, filled with this confidence of being commended for hearing God correctly when Jesus tells him that he must die and uh, suffer. This doesn't sound right to Peter. So filled with his confidence of having just been told by Jesus he had heard God in this earlier situation, he has the confidence to take Jesus aside and reprimand Jesus and say, no, Jesus, uh, this isn't right. You can't suffer and die. And we see Jesus' response to Peter is incredibly tough. And we read this in verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Can you imagine how he felt when Jesus, his dear friend and his mentor, says this, brings this really tough message to him and says to him, Get behind me, Satan. Peter's heart must have really sunk as he heard this. Now, as we look at Jesus's response, um, what did Jesus mean when he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan? He didn't mean that Peter literally was Satan. But just as earlier, as Peter declared that Jesus was the Messiah, Peter unwittingly was speaking as a messenger of God, um, as, as Jesus had said to him, inspired by the Holy Spirit. In the same way now, in this response in this response to Jesus, when he took Jesus aside to reprimand him, Peter, speaking out of his own human nature, was unwittingly speaking as a messenger for Satan. and Jesus, as he heard this message, he could see Satan's um, satanic purpose in this message that Peter brought, trying to discourage him from the cross. So this is what Jesus means when he said, when he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. There are two points that I want to highlight out of this response that Jesus has to Peter. And the first point that I want to highlight is that Jesus is no meek and mild pushover. And I think for many of us as modern Christians, we have turned Jesus and God into this meek and mild deity whose only job is to help and encourage us. And, yes, that's true that in Jesus' first coming into to earth when he was born, he was born as a helpless baby, meek and mild. But that is not where the story ends. And we see in Jesus' earthly ministry later on, we see how Jesus um, became actually quite a confrontational disruptor in many senses. If you look at his conversation with the Jews, uh, he really was a, in many ways, a confrontational disruptor. And we even see in his relationship with his disciples and with Peter how, in this instance, um, he is not a meek and mild pushover. He can speak tough and difficult words. And if we look beyond this text, if we look uh, in the book of Revelation towards end times, we see that when Jesus comes again back to this earth at the end of this age, he is going to come back as a warrior king. So we see that there are a lot more aspects to Jesus' character. Um, He is not just the single-dimensional Jesus, meek and mild. A few years ago, I read through the New Testament in a space of a couple of weeks, and one of the main impressions that it left with me was how confrontational Jesus often was, both with the Jews of the time, but even with his disciples, as we see in this discussion with Peter at the moment. It left me thinking that if Jesus was to come to One Hope next week and to preach the sermon, I don't think necessarily that we might all feel all warm and fuzzy inside after Jesus preaches the sermon. I wonder if Jesus was to come next week to One Hope and if he was to preach, I think it's quite possible that we might feel very uncomfortably challenged in the same way that Peter felt uncomfortably challenged by Jesus' response to him in this account. As we think about the character of God and the character of Jesus, one of the illustrations that I really love that uh, tells us something about the character of God, or that illustrates something of the uh, character of of God, comes from the series of books of Narnia. And um, the books were written by the great Christian theologian and philosopher C.S. Lewis and in the books Um, It's a fictional book but it's a parallel for the Christian faith and in the books Jesus is depicted as this incredibly big, majestic, powerful lion. And in the one account um, young Lucy is wondering about the character of of Jesus or in this case she was wondering about the character of the lion Aslan uh, who represents Jesus. And Tumnus the fawn in his wisdom, as Lucy is wondering about the character of Jesus, he says to Lucy that he is not a tame lion, but he is good. And I just love that. You know, I think in many respects as modern Christians, we have turned God and we've turned Jesus into this tame God um, who we almost have made You know, we've created this image of God who's this tame God. And God is not a tame God, but he is good. And I want to really challenge each one of us today to think about how we see God. Have we created a single-dimensional or a false picture of who God is? God is not a tame God, but he is good. And as we think about the character of God... I want to ask you this morning, are you open to God as your loving father, but also as the warrior king, this majestic, mighty God? Are you open to Him today, coming to you with difficult words, challenging you as your loving father? And we read in Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 7, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So I just wanna ask you again today, are you open to God coming to you with difficult words of discipline as he did with Peter in this text. And then the second point I want to take from this difficult exchange between Jesus and Peter is that we see in this account that Peter was not on page with Jesus as to what Jesus's mission was on earth. Now Peter thought that um, in line probably with the view that many Jews of the day had, or that most Jews of the day had, they thought that when the Messiah came, that the Messiah's role was going to be to save the Jews from uh, Roman oppression and from Roman occupation. So they thought that that was the role that the Messiah had and no doubt that is what Peter thought that the Messiah's role was. So Peter was not on page with Jesus's mission and what Peter at that point didn't understand Jesus' mission was not to come and save the Jews from Roman occupation and Roman rule. What he didn't understand was that Jesus' role was to save all people from all times, from all nations, for all of eternity, from their sins. So Jesus had a far, far greater mission than what uh, Peter could have imagined. And in the same way that Peter wasn't on page with Jesus's mission with what he had come to do on earth. I think it might be true for for many of us that many of us are not on page with the mission that Jesus has for our life and I want to challenge you this morning. Are you on page with the mission that Jesus has for your own life Uh, or are you just on your own mission? Are you just on your own mission in this life Um, chasing after you all your own hopes and your dreams and your your desires, or are you on God's mission for your life? So I really want to challenge you in this regard, to challenge, are you on your own mission in life or are you on God's mission? And in this next section um, of this account, when Jesus turns his focus back from Peter to the rest of the disciples, um, Jesus talks about What is his mission for us? And we can read, we can get a great idea of what it means to be on mission for God as we read this next section of the account. So we read from verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet to forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory, with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. So recently in a number of Paul's sermons, our own uh, Pastor Paul, he's been talking about the Kingdom of God being this upside-down Kingdom. And in this upside-down kingdom, God's wisdom is 180 degrees opposed to human wisdom. God's wisdom is completely upside-down compared to human wisdom. And we see that in this um, text here. We see that to find your life, you must lose your life. That's such upside-down logic. And Jesus speaks here about losing your life as taking up your cross and following him. And this was something which would have been really shocking to the disciples' ears as they, as they heard it. To us as modern Christians, when we hear the term cross, um, we have a totally different association. Um, as modern, in our modern times, we wear a cross as a little uh, golden or silver ornament and as modern Christians, when we think of the cross, we have a positive association with the cross because we think of Jesus' sacrifice for us and we think of Jesus's love for us, but to the disciples at this time, the cross would have been something really shocking. To them, um, the cross was a cruel instrument of Roman torture and execution. So when Jesus said to them, you must take up your cross and follow me, it would have been something really shocking on their ears, not something which was warm and comforting. So as I said earlier, If Jesus came to One Hope next week and preached, I think rather than feeling warm and fuzzy, um, we might have felt really uncomfortably challenged as the disciples would have been now when Jesus said, to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. So in the modern context, taking up the cross would be more like Jesus saying, to follow me, you must lose everything, you must go onto death row awaiting the electric chair. That's really what he was saying. And that is not a comfortable and warm and fuzzy thing to say in your sermon. But this is the reality of the way that Jesus was confronting his his disciples in this difficult conversation. And when we look at this hard word from Jesus to us, this again, this is upside down kingdom logic. What the world tells us is the world, the message from the world is, you must work hard for your best life. You must, you must take what's rightly yours. You must, the world's message is all about me, 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 my best life, what I want for my life, my dreams, my hope, me, 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 to the point of narcissism. And what we see in God's upside-down kingdom is exactly the opposite. If you want to find your life, you must lose it. Completely upside-down kingdom logic to find your life you must lose it. But together with this really scary message that Jesus gives that we need to lose our life, he gives this beautiful, scary, upside down promise that says when you lose your life, you will find your life. And I can think of a few instances in my life where Um, I felt that Jesus was asking me or God was asking me to give up some stuff and to do something which was really scary. And I can think of a few instances where for uh, a long time I would resist, just too scared of the consequences and too scared to give up what God was asking me to give up. But in every instance that I was obedient, um, afterwards there was just so much peace And joy in the obedience that I can't that I couldn't imagine why in the first place I was too scared to give up what God was asking me to give up. And one of these instances um, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago where the rug was pulled out from underneath me in my career, and I learned the hard way that I had to give up my ambitions, my personal ambitions for my career. I learned the hard way. um, And at the time um, I gave up or lost my bling BMW X3 and I made a conscious decision to replace it with a Ford Fiesta and to really, um, in in a new humility, to uh, commit my career to God and to really say to God, God, I want to lose my career for you. I want to give it away for you and I want to really commit it to you. And as I shared with you last time, I have never had more peace and more joy and more satisfaction in my career than I have since that point. Um, and yes, it's not something which is a once-off decision. It's something which, um, which I have to live in daily. And many of you might have heard the old Christian saying which says that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps climbing off the altar. Uh, and I think that's true for each one of us and that's true for myself. Um, but just on a daily basis, uh, in prayerfully recommitting my career, career to God and saying, God, I want to set aside my personal ambitions and I want to uh, devote my career and my life and my time to bringing honour and glory to you on a daily basis. And since I've done that, I've never had so much peace and joy in my life. In the 50s, there was a young missionary by the name of uh, Jim Elliot, And he was a missionary to a unreached tribe of Indians and ultimately he was killed by this tribe. But before um, he was martyred and killed by this tribe he said this beautiful uh, thing. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Um, And in the same way that we saw earlier in this text how the mission that Jesus came to do on this earth was far greater uh, and more wonderful than what Peter had thought, where Peter had thought he had only come to save the Jews from Roman occupation, those Jews from that time from Roman occupation. And Jesus' mission was far more wonderful that he had come to save all people from all time from their sin. In the same way, when Jesus asks us to lose our life for him, when we what we gain is far greater than we can ever hope or imagine so this is not a punishment this is not something terrible to say you must give up your life when we give up our life for god and we lose it for him what we gain is far more wonderful than we can imagine and the peace and the joy that we experience and the excitement of being on mission with god for the glory of his name is far more wonderful than we can hope or imagine. It is such a blessing to us. At the heart of this message, this message is not about trying harder to be a better Christian and about striving and about trying harder. At the heart of this message, rather than about trying harder, it's about letting go. It's about letting go of our selfish ambitions and our selfish dreams. It's about letting go of those things. And as we let go of those things and as we just rest on God's mercy and as we rest on God's grace and as we enjoy him, we're filled with this renewed peace and joy. And as we do this in his strength, we can be on mission for him and we can uh, be a blessing to others. So it's not about trying harder and striving. It's about letting go and it's about resting on him. For those of you who don't follow God, we read in verse 21 that The purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was to die on the cross and to raise again to new life. And the reason why Jesus died on the cross was to take away the eternal consequences of each one of our sin, to take away the eternal consequences of those sin. And the invitation is there for each one of you to... Accept that God is the God that created this universe. He is the sovereign God who is in charge of everything. He is the God who sent Jesus to die, to take away the consequences for your sin. And the invitation is there for you to accept that and to go into a new life, to give up a life of meaningless existence into a life of purpose and of real peace and of real joy. In verse 25 we read that at the end of this age Jesus is going to come back to this earth with his angels and if he was to come back today or tomorrow my question to you is what would he find you doing? Would he find you chasing after all your own dreams and hopes and narcissistically living for yourself or would he find you daily laying aside your own life to live your best life for him filled with his peace and filled with his joy. And if you don't know God today, um, if Jesus was to come back today, is it too late for you? If Jesus comes back today or if you die today, if you haven't accepted Jesus's forgiveness for your sins yet, what is destined for you is death and eternal suffering. And I know that sounds really harsh, but we've been speaking today about Jesus bringing hard words And a hard message and we saw how how Jesus brought a hard word to Peter and that is the hard word that Jesus and God brings to you today so as we close I want to leave all of us with this message are you open to hearing a difficult message from Jesus today in the same way that Peter had to hear this difficult message from Jesus are you are you maybe today out of step with Jesus or with God in areas of your life or in your life and are you open to hearing a difficult message of correction from God today and if you hear this message are you open to being obedient to God and are you open to laying aside your life and to living your best life in obedience to God because God loves you and he wants the best for you he really wants the best for you Let's close in prayer. Lord, I really do want to thank you that you are a loving Father. Thank you, Lord, that you love each one of us dearly and intimately. Thank you, Lord, that you want the best for us. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us today. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you will reveal to us those areas in our life when we, where we are not living our best life, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will Make these things clear to us, Lord, and I pray that you will give us the courage to obey you. And thank you, Lord, for the wonderful promise that you give us, that if we lose our life for you, that we will gain our life. Thank you, Lord, that you want the best life for us. Thank you that you are a loving, heavenly Father. Amen.